Hello, welcome to episode 127 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. I'm Stephen Hill, one of the hosts. He's Renfrey Deadman. He's the other host. Together, we are the hosts of this show. Fact, Renfrey, boom, go. Boom. That was an incredible fact. Really Thanks good to start. Very impressive start to the show. Well done. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, um, we're coming up to like one of the most depressing days of the year, aren't we? Every, every... What, your birthday was last week, actually. Hey, oh! Hey, 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 hey. Uh, every single year. Yeah, well, this is why I always remember it, because it's always a little, like a week or two after my birthday, everyone kind of goes, oh, this is statistically the most depressing day of the year. Blah, blah, How blah. How do they work that out? So it's something to do with... Um, the fact that it's like really short daylight hours and then mm. they base it on the fact that like everyone's kind of there's there's not an awful lot to look forward to there isn't like much to look forward to until like easter kind of thing in a sort of grand scale of thing. i think it's stuff like that i mean it's all nonsense isn't it but you know, it is you know. really yeah i'm glad you brought it up considering it's <laughs> nonsense <laughs> Oh, sorry, Thank I was you just, so much. I was just looking outside my window and it was a really grey, miserable day, so it made me think about that. But yeah. I mean, yeah. every day is the most miserable day at the moment, isn't it? Absolute cabin fever shithole. Yeah, it's not great. <sighs> not hey. the best. Anyway, by the way, it's actually a music podcast, incidentally. <laughs> if you've never tuned in before and you thought, oh, no, a new music podcast I haven't listened to before. Oh, it's just two old men moaning about the fact that it's a bit dark early these days. <laughs> anyway, on the show this week, we're still going to be carrying on our catch up from some of the little crumbs of music that we missed towards the end of 2020. We're going to be reviewing... New-ish music, I was going to say new music, new-ish music from Taylor Swift, Alpha Male Tea Party and Gone Is Gone and brand new music from Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou. Before we go any further, it's customary at this point in proceedings for me to say, cheers Signature Brew, you guys are the best. I love saying it. Mm. I, lo- I love saying it, Renfrey. Mm. I, I just because they're, they're good guys, and it's every week we, every other week, pretty much. I feel like we got a new thing to talk about from Signature Brew. They're busy, yeah, yeah. They're really busy lads. stuff out right now. Aren't they, they, they bloody are. They've just done a new. I was gonna say beer. Is it beer? I think it sort of is. It's an it, alcohol-free it, pale ale. Yeah, I mean, it's still beer, just because it doesn't it's have br- alcohol yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually mm. their first ever non-alcoholic beer as well. It is. It's called Lo-Fi, the alcohol-free pale ale, which I'm looking at now. Now, I have tried when I haven't been drinking. There have been a few times over the past couple of years where I have gone straight edge, if you like, I oh, guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I've tried various non-alcoholic beers, mm. right? Some of them are all right mm-hmm. after one. Mm-hmm. Some of them are dreadful there are a few that i've had that i'm like yeah that's all right for one so i'm super interested to see what this signature brew non-alcoholic beer is going to taste like uh, i'm excited well i'm getting sent some i don't know if you are uh <laughs> i am as well oh brilliant yeah. okay so yeah, yeah. We're, get- we're getting some scent uh i had a little chat with john yesterday hello john um and um, hey, john yes we are uh we'll be able to sup them and then let you know what we think next week i think um, I mean, you know, the non-alcoholic beer thing has become a big thing now. Mm. And uh, I think it's a really good thing that Signature Brew are getting in on it. And uh, I imagine if it's like their other beers, I imagine it'll be absolutely lovely. Yum, yum, yums. Well, I mean, let, let's hope so. Because the last thing I want is to come on and mug them off next week. And I go, oh, it's awful like all the other <laughs> ones. <Ugh. There> is, <laughs> I probably won't do that, to be perfectly honest. There is, I should say. And 
this is a absolutely phenomenal deal. It's it's kind of going ever so slightly against us because you can't use our Riot Act code with this deal because it would be the most amazing deal in the entire world. But if you get 12 cans of lo-fi beer, you can yep. nominate a friend to get an additional 12 cans for free. That is literally buy 12, get 12 free. Are you going to nominate me when you buy 12? Uh, well, I'm getting something for free. So I'll probably... <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit. Do you know, I bought some bloody signature brew before um, Christmas. I was happy to pay for it. I was happy to give those people my money. And I did use our 10% off. So you can go to signaturebrew.co.uk, put the code RIOTACT in the checkout, and you will get 10% off all of your purchases. Other than that free 12 can thing, we should probably point that out. But I, you know, just because you're getting sent something for free... You think you, you're just going to blag them all? You make me sick. <laughs> you just take, you just take, 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 don't you, Renfrey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he any. doesn't, he doesn't. Anyway, listen, <laughs> thanks, Signature Brew. Like I say, signaturebrew.co.uk. Go and order some beers. They are, you know, not just master brewsmen. Is that the word? Brewsmen? Mm, brewers? Brewers. Probably brewers, isn't it? Yeah. Not brewsmen. Um, also, very, very supportive of the music industry in general. I think I say it every week since it's so coming up to a decade of them brewing the the many beverages that they've done. And they've partnered up over the years with Mastodon and Mogwai and Enter Shikari and Sports Team and Idols and The Darkness and loads of bands that we really, really like. So yeah. thanks very much. I tell you what, guys, it's been a bloody busy old week over on the old Patreon page, isn't it? Oh, so busy. Ridiculously been busy. Smashing out stuff and content all over the place patreon.com forward slash right act podcast if you would like i should just know that steve get did, involved i should just know what? that steve just did finger guns as he was uh, saying smashing out content <laughs> why not uh, why, why not? wouldn't i do why that why not indeed it's lockdown hey, treat yourself treat yourself to finger guns <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> that is an unofficial sponsor, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash right podcast. Ooh, yeah. Go on. Uh, you can sign up for a dollar or more and you can get access to all of our Rioters reviews. We're up to about 50 of now. 54, I think. Yeah, 54. 54. Mm. I think one has just gone up on Elephant by mm. the White Stripes. Yeah, which Renfrey and I, yeah, did <laughs> kind of as a sort of palate cleanser after doing 100 Gex <laughs> last week. Yeah. Uh, couldn't be more different, those two mm. records. But, you know, I was about to say both brilliant. Not really true. Uh, <laughs> White Stripes, Elephant is a fucking great record. And I loved going back into that record. It's so good. Yeah, same. Yeah. I really, really, I really have uh, rediscovered um, White Stripes as a result of going through that. Uh, so thank you, Mark Waite, who suggested it, I think. Yeah, and, thanks, Mark. Um, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing that. And I, White Stripes are just a brilliant, brilliant band, oh, aren't they? They're so good. Mm. I've forgotten how good they are. They're so, so, so good. Also, speaking of so, so, so good, we also did get a classic album podcast go up as well so for five pound a month if you sign up for the five pound tier i'm sure many 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 of you know this by now you get two classic albums a month one of mine one of renfrey's renfrey's pick which really could have been my pick was ritual de la habitual by jane's addiction mm. and we spent nearly it was 
three hours? It's a three-hour three hour podcast on the old James. Yeah. yeah, we were a bit worried post-Beatles that we were going to be like, oh, these are going to feel really easy after doing five and a half hours on the White yeah. Album. But we actually managed to get a hell of a lot of stuff out of James Addiction. I was quite surprised, really. But I mean, my first concern, as soon as I started doing research for it, there just wasn't as much on the old internets about um, Jane's Addiction as I thought there would be. I thought there'd be so much more. Uh, so I was a little bit like, oh, oh, this might not be a very big one. But that turned out to not be the case at all um, With uh, at three hours in length. So, yeah, we went right deep into that record. Absolutely amazing album, which um, we have decided has uh, was one of the primary reasons for forging the path for bands like Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam to take over the world effectively, even though musically they don't have all that much in common. Um, but yeah, without Richard De La Habitual, that might not have happened. And you can find out it's why. true. You can find it's out true. why if you uh, check out the Classic Album podcast. Really, really like doing that and going back into James Addiction and just listening. You had some very fascinating tidbits from that band that I wasn't really aware of. Because like you say, an enigma of a band really, aren't they, James Addiction? Yes. Proper enigma. And I don't really feel like I knew as much about them as I maybe thought I did. Yes. I yes. learned a lot. I we, didn't learn how good their music was because I already knew that, but I that. did still learn quite a bit. There's a, I'll, I'll do a little tease for this as well. There's a good chance that we'll have more Jane's Addiction related com- content coming up very, very soon. So if you enjoyed that, uh, keep your ears peeled. That won't be on the Patreon page, by the way. That will nope. be for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did Looking something to that. very exciting towards the end of last year, mm. which is super cool. Now, that's what's already out. We can reveal that we're going to start trying to reveal what we're doing next on the show, because if we do that, then it means that we will actually do them. Whereas before, we've been a bit like, ah, grab an album quickly, have a quick listen to it, chat about it, and then put it out. We're trying to be a little bit more um, professional. And uh, I say that as Renfrey smacks his phone on the floor while he's talking to me. <laughs> and has just basically paused me completely. Are you still there? I am still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Where have you gone? There you are. No, I just, um, I just realised I hadn't plugged my phone in and it's going to, uh, uh, it's going to go out of charge if we're not careful. So Right, yeah. fair it's enough. So anyway, yes, as I was saying, we are going to try and tell you what, what is coming next on the, on the Patreon page. So right here's review. The next one that will be going out will be the Money Store by death grips which we've already recorded mm-hmm. and i think that was a pretty fucking interesting conversation yeah. as well yeah really fascinating jane's, jane's addiction death grips and white stripes. white stripes in sort of a little period i think we're trying to cover as many bases as possible and in lieu of that if you're going oh wait hell whoa, whoa whoa hold on where's the metals where's the heavy shit the really heavy shit well one i'd go go and listen to death grips because they're pretty fucking heavy by the way but The next classic album that will be coming up, if you are a fan of super duper heavy stuff, we're going to be doing Obzen by Meshuggah, which I believe, Renfrew, you and I will record tomorrow, which Mm -hmm. means I've got basically 24 hours of listening to Meshuggah as soon as we finish this. Hooray. Yes, I'm probably going to do something quite similar. (laughs) That, Um. that, That actually sounds like at least seven or eight days of my month anyway. I kind of do that all the time. This is not really anything particularly different. I always have a day, like a day a month of going, so let's listen to Meshuggah and give myself an absolutely killing migraine. You call it Meshuggah Day. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing Meshuggah and um, 
I've done some very, again, not a band who have loads and loads and loads of stuff, especially in comparison with the Beatles online, but I found some, again, some pretty interesting tidbits about Meshuggah, and I'm quite looking forward to delving into them deeper than hopefully anyone has ever delved into them before. Oh, that's that's some strong words there. I feel pretty confident though, mate. I'm not going to lie. Look at old confident Stevie boy. (laughs) Anyway, there you go. As I said, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. Sign up five pound for classic albums or whatever you can, whatever you can muster just to get and become, you know, someone who will suggest an album, which will go into that unbelievably long list of records that we have to get through on right ears reviews. It's just never ending. Never keep them coming though keep mm. them coming definitely mm-hmm. definitely keep them coming mm-hmm. uh also on our youtube channel i put up my conversation with cormac battle mm. of curb dog this week as well we had a long chat it was about 55 minutes long we spoke about you know the reissue of the first two curb dog albums both albums which i think are brilliant particularly on the turn from 1997 the, and the fact that curb dog have gone from this band who you know i, I bought that on the day it came out so it wasn't my fault that they never got big but uh they become kind of a, a cult band over the years did the forum didn't they last time they, they did the london. forum mm, yeah. no no last time they played london they actually they did the boston music rooms oh my bad okay yeah which so, is a pretty significant drop-off to be perfectly honest mm. but still <laughs> there is a a hardcore elite of curb dog fans that i don't think really existed back in the day mm. and when you think people like, like biffy clyro supported them on that tour by the way and they played in glasgow at the garage in Glasgow, I think, and Biffy just turned up because they wanted to play with Curb Dog and just supported him. I love the fact that how Biffy good a Biffy, that. yeah, yeah, oh, fucking great. Like very few bands of Biffy's stature do that these days, but they did it with Sunnydale Real Estate as well, as I've yeah. discussed before uh, on mm. this show. So yeah, that's fucking cool. But uh, Cormac is such a wicked guy. Like, he's such a wicked guy. He's like really, really passionate and intelligent, and thoughtful, and just you know, like it's such a shame that they didn't get their dues at the time i mean i think it's it's a lovely it's kind of like an alt rock version of anvil what's happened to them when they (laughs) sort of managed to get to sort of sonosphere and play in the forum and stuff and i think it it peaked around that time but there are people who like me who just think that record is fucking wicked it's a brilliant record it's a brilliant record yeah particularly on the turn uh, debut's pretty mm. good as well but on the I think turn, the debut's very one. good yeah mm. yeah but I mean on the turn it's brilliant so go over to our YouTube channel and you can find that and as Remfrey kind of uh, nudge nudge wink wink suggested there might be some other stuff coming on the YouTube channel interviews wise soon as well anyway there you go that's a sell it's not really a lot of news or anything else particularly to talk about Remfrey at the moment so I guess January in it mid-January January as well. yeah. everyone's on their best behaviour Apart from Donald Trump, we've already covered that. (laughs) We kind of covered that already, haven't we? Yeah. (laughs) Actually, he's on the naughty step at the moment, isn't he? He's very much on the naughty step. It's the second time. (laughs) It's the second time he's been on the naughty step as well. He he put a a thing out going sorry. Um, So he's a bit like you've had your bum slapped and now say sorry, and he has said sorry. So fair play to him. Anyway, let's not talk about. (laughs) Oh, that's fine. That makes it fine. Yeah. Ah, uh, good. Um, anyway, um, what are we saying to open with? Taylor Swift. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, let's do some reviews. Taylor Swift, Evermore is where we're going to start. Obviously, this album has been out for a little while. The follow-up to 2020's Folklore, which was basically her doing an album 
whilst we were all in lockdown. Um, this came out about six months afterwards, I think, evermore, and has been out probably just under a month at this point. So I imagine it was a couple of weeks, a m- couple of weeks prior to Christmas. So yeah, about a month. Yeah, about That's a month. So it's um, you know been out a little while, but it's a big deal, and we did want to cover it. Um, so here we go. This is the ninth album from Taylor Swift, and it does continue obviously, on that more slight singer-songwritery direction of that previous album. Um, Folklore, as a record, really grew on me over time. Really, really grew over me over time. I think when we reviewed it, we'd had it about a week. And the sort of, the shock of hearing Taylor, not even the shock, but the surprise trying to kind of recalibrate what you thought Taylor Swift was into what you were hearing there mixed with the frankly slightly over the top critical response to the record as well mm. um meant that I felt like I kind of had to go oh shit we need to get our opinion together straight away and over time I felt like that album revealed itself to be I think the, the, the criticisms that we had of it of being too long I think they're still apt but I think there's actually there was a there was a lot of really really good stuff, and I've continued to listen to that record a lot mm-hmm. um, in the interim between it coming out and folklore coming out. So I was pretty excited about this, and I'm also glad that we've had longer with this record yeah. than we had with the last <laughs> record because I think we'll probably be able to give a more rounded opinion of it because of that. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think I'd agree with all of that. Um, there are I don't disagree with any of the things that I said in my folklore review. But having said that, I think if I'd had the record a little bit longer, I might have been um, less, I might have gone in a little less strongly on some of those points. Um, Mm. Having said that, I almost feel like I could take my review of folklore and just transplant it to Evermore in a way, because it is... uh, more of the same uh i think if, if <laughs> that's exactly what i've got written in the next sentence in my notes more of the same <laughs> yeah, it is it is more of the same i think this album has the exact same strengths and the exact same weaknesses as folklore um but overall just to get this out of the way straight away if i had to choose between the two i think i actually ever so slightly prefer evermore to folklore um and it's pretty rare that you know if you get two albums in a sequence like whether it's like load or reload or use your illusion one two or blah blah blah. although i do prefer two to one it's very very rare that you that like the second album that comes along is better than the first you know usually people Mm. prefer the first one um and certainly most of the critics um would have dictated that they prefer the first to the second but i think overall i think the songs that i love on this record are i i I really really love i personally think the absolute best song from both records is on is on this one um so um and i think maybe um i think having that time with folklore meant that i could understand evermore a bit more and i think also just us reviewing it together something that you pointed out because we didn't have loads of time with folklore I really hadn't got into the lyrics probably as much as I should have done. And um, you sort of mentioned what an amazing storyteller Taylor Swift was on or, or has become 
on that record. And um, I think that's a really, really good point. Her storytelling yeah. is really, really on point. Um, mm. uh, it's, it's really something to behold, actually, on this record and um, and folklore as well. She does that storytelling through music thing at her best, as as well as any other artist on the planet who does that sort of stripped back folky kind of thing. Um, but I think, yet again, if we're looking at these songs as an album, there are, you know, flaws in terms of its length and all that kind of thing, which I'm sure we'll go into in, in a moment. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with most of that. I mean, I initially thought I did prefer folklore to this. I still think, if I'm being completely honest, I still think the opening four tracks on folklore, the one cardigan, the last great American dynasty, and particularly Exile with Bon Iver, which is just fantastic, um, are probably the high watermark over the entirety of these two records having said that i think although we've both said this is kind of more of the same well not even kind of it is more of the same it's mm. it's kind of um born it's produced by the same people it's come from the same sessions essentially it's just come a little bit further on down the line what has really impressed me about this record is something we said when we reviewed folklore which actually now in retrospect might feel a little like a little bit harsh is that you know taylor swift was kind of finding her way into doing this kind of stuff now obviously she didn't start by doing the big kind of pop bangers that she has predominantly been known for she did start as more of a, a you know a country musician so she's not entirely coming into this new style totally cold but i do think it is a slightly different variant what she's doing now to the sort of stuff that she was doing in the very very early part of her career i don't think the earlier material you could have had you know the national and bon Iver on it without it sounding quite jarring and quite different well it was very i mean i saw taylor swift around that time at v festival when i worked all right and um it was Yes, it was country and westerny, but it was far more that kind of pop country and western. Yeah, um, that is absolutely. So you wouldn't get Shania, you know, you wouldn't get Shania Twain and Phoebe Bridges together. Would be no, weird, wouldn't it? Exactly. And yes, that was exactly. sort of what do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but saying that, you know, what I think is really impressed me about this record is that she appears to have, in quite a short distance of time, taken pretty wide strides towards you know taming and controlling and understanding this particular thing that she's doing i think there are bits on this record um that are completely different to most of the stuff on folklore i think there are some really really amazing dynamics i think also something which we didn't say about taylor swift when we reviewed the last record is that pop stars usually have very very good technical singing voices but often particularly modern pop stars they may have very very good technical singing voices but the majority of them just sound like everybody else Mm. that is not true of taylor swift Mm. the second you hear taylor swift on a record it 
it sounds like her. Her cadence, her use of melody, her tonality, mm. everything, the way that she comes in on these songs and the way that her, you know, she kind of transitions between from a verse to a bridge to a chorus and that kind of lilting upwards inflection that she gives stuff. That is kind of quintessentially Taylor Swift now. She's a, a really, really it's really clear that it's her. Like if you heard somebody else sounding like this, you'd go, you're just trying to sound like Taylor Swift at this mm. point. And I think that's a, like coming from pop music, which we often think is kind of disposable and is just quite surface level. And the singers are there to sound good and to, to just sound big. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the, 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 the bigger pop artists over the last decade, 15 years or so, the sort of post X factor boom thing, most people in pop vocally are kind of they try and make them all sound identical and all try and sound the same taylor swift doesn't do that and i think that's really really great strength of hers personally there's certainly a lot of pop singers who maybe either sort of put so much stuff into the technical into their technical skills that they kind of forget to um lead with emotions or 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 there isn't kind of a, a translation of those emotions to the songs it doesn't kind of they don't affect you in a way because it's all so clean cut or um they're just so sort of processed and uh there's so much um trickery put over their voices um mm. that that emotion is stripped away through those sort of studio embellishments and there are no such problems on either of these two Taylor Swift records at all. It is a really naked, stripped back performance. And um, you feel like you're listening to her. Um, it's very sort of closely mic'd. And um, it's it's a really beautiful performance in a lot of these songs. Really, really beautiful performance. And mm. And I think to be able to do that and tell these stories, some quite complex stories as well, with some relatively um some um some emotions which aren't maybe as obvious or taking a very typical kind of breakup song and putting a small twist on it which you wouldn't normally hear uh in a lot of other um, musicians catalogs i think it's a really 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 cool thing that she's done on a lot of these songs yeah i do and it's not even just um love songs is it really i mean most pop singers probably wouldn't do something like the song um uh marjorie which is a tribute to her grandma. maternal grandmother mm. um which you know is and and that is not you know particularly in, that would either be in the hands of another pop star that would either be unbelievably saccharine and overwrought and horrible or it just wouldn't get made at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet Taylor Swift does, like you say, manage to make it sound heartfelt. And it, and it obviously is heartfelt. And the idea that, you know, you, you, you can't be somebody from this genre and have anything interesting to say mm -hmm. or any unique perspectives or any sort of genuine personal perspectives is something which, you know, she's, I would say she's probably one of, if not the go-to first example in modern pop music of, of that being absolute bollocks to be honest there's also i mean um in terms of things that other a, a lot of other pop stars wouldn't do there's a murder ballad on here um nobody yeah. no crime featuring mm. Haim. Haim. 
Um, and you know, it, like it's quite interesting because it's a murder ballad with pop inflections. There's um, those kind of um, strange melodic, well, not even strange, but melodic inflections that say Justin Timberlake would use or something like that. Um, in particularly in the vocal melodies, which is quite unusual to hear in a murder ballad. And on paper, you might not think that that would necessarily work, but actually, I think it works really, really well. Um, mm. And I've never. I've heard quite a few murder ballads over the years, but I've never really heard one quite like this. Um, some of the instrumentation feels like a nod back to her origins as a country and Western artist as well. And I think it all... There's much, there's much more of that on this record, a lot by more. the way, I think. Yeah. Mm. And I think it all that all comes together quite, quite nicely, particularly in that song. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see like a pop artist doing something just... just quite different to her peers you know mm. um and and pulling it off really really well for the most part i, I, I want to shout i mean I, i've got to say like nobody no crime is I, i'm less I, I was about to say okay i'm less to be honest interested in um some of the more country vibes on this record than i'm just that sound is something which i'm not that into particularly especially in comparison with i mean the fact that that song uh nobody no crime is followed up by this song happiness which is so slight and it's brilliant it's like perfectly delicate and i think that i mean that shows how good taylor swift has become and how far she has progressed from beyond that kind of twangly country pop thing which i'm to be perfectly honest a little bit less interested in um i think that song nobody no crime is is good and i want to shout out haim in that as well because you looked at it and people were really excited that haim were going to be on the record and it's less of a duet and it's rather you know when you've got bonivere and we'll talk about the national who come in later as well haim don't really try and steal the limelight or even share the limelight haim really to me feel like they're there as much as a as a backup as they do you know, it's very much Haim backing Taylor Swift as opposed to duetting with her. Do you know what I mean? Well, they're effectively so it's a, a, a it's a take on a, a true crime story, apparently, um, which focuses on the missing persons case uh, after this person went missing after be cheating on her husband, supposedly. And I think um, Esther, Esther Hain plays like plays that character effectively. Mm -hmm. So that's the way that it's kind of portrayed. And that's like a really smart way of doing it. I think it works really, really well. It's almost like the chorus is, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. And then Esther Hain will come and say, saying he did it, you know, just kind of like yeah. almost like backing up her point. And it like, it's almost like a musical in that sense. Um, it's very, very cleverly um, composed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting that you pointed out happiness as a um, uh, as a highlight because I suppose this one of the things I moaned about with folklore, and and I do have the same issues with Evermore, is is the amount of songs that are on these records. So folklore had sixteen songs on it. Mm uh evermore has 15 uh 17 if you include the bonus tracks um yeah it's uh i mean the 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 non-bonus track edition is is just over an hour long and i think that um i don't think anything 
on either of these records is quote unquote bad but because of the sheer breadth and the, the, because there is so much um and really they all stay in a similar mold i think I, I, it would be completely wrong of me to say that there's no variation on this album at all but you know they're all in a relatively similar sonic palette i think it's probably fair to say yeah, I, I think there's more variation on Evermore. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, I agree. With I that. think there's definitely more variation. I think that that's something that they've obviously thought about. I think you're right. It's they're records that have been made during a period where no one can go anywhere, and they've been made with a specific idea of what they need to be in mind. I agree with that. Um, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is when you have 33 songs over two mm. albums released over the period of six months, um, it's relatively inevitable that some of them are going to feel surplus to requirements. Yep. Uh, having said that, um, I kind of pointed out a few songs on this record, which I thought like probably weren't strictly necessary. And interestingly, one of them was happiness. Um, I really, but the fact that you have uh, responded to that song kind of shows that like, just because you know, just because I don't like a song, uh, it's, it's not even I don't like it. It's just I, I just don't think it's as interesting or as good as some of the other songs on this record. And um, as you can, I mean, it feels like a pretty basic thing to say that if you got the best songs from Folklore and the best songs from Evermore and put them together as a compilation, you come up with a really astonishing like a properly astonishing record i think mm. um but there there is that argument i remember saying on the folklore um on the folklore review that it'd be really nice if she could have like cut down these songs and just made a far more concise taut record but i suppose that's proof right there that like of course just because a song like happiness doesn't resonate with me doesn't mean that it doesn't resonate with other people yeah i mean i feel like that i mean there's stuff on here like ivy and cowboy like me that, that kind of comes straight after the national song which we'll talk about in a minute mm. and they're more kind of a bit bang banjoy and twangly mm. for me yeah and i'm like well you know i think the good like the thing about this record and where you know you say oh, it's, it's kind of taken from the same palette i do think there's more variation because you've got nods to her very very early career you've got nods to what she's just done well not even nods there's big it's still very much for the most part sits in this new brand of what taylor swift is trying to do but then i mean i love there's a song called long story short on it and it's fucking great i think that might be my my favorite song it's on the verge of her doing like a pop banger in this in this new mold of stuff it's like a subtle pop banger and i i think it's brilliant that's really it's another song that i pointed out as probably surplus to requirements it's really interesting mm. there you go but then but i suppose my point is like i don't think when i sort of hear both of these records i don't think any of the songs are like badly written or badly constructed or anything like that so there is an argument to say that all of them should have been included um it's just when you're looking at an album as a body of work it's difficult to say that um an album which has which has this similar a similar sonic uh variation throughout it, it it is varied i don't want to put across that it's not a varied album but 
it's all in quite a low-ish register. There's no point. Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, and I love that stuff. I love loads of like singer-songwriter folky kind of stuff. But the majority of the folky albums that I listen to, I can't think of many at all that exceed an hour. Like, the majority of them will be 35 minutes, 40 minutes. And I think... Um, just just like a hardcore record like a really 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 heavy record will be much 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 shorter because yeah yeah of course most of the time you don't want to be bombarded with something like that unless you know for much longer and unless uh unless they're doing something really really you know interesting with it but i think um for almost the opposite reasons the same is the same applies with these more singer songwriter type records because after a while because because they're so subtle you kind of zone out if it if they go on for too long you know yeah definitely i i have to say i i did feel that with folklore and i but i felt like folklore initially was a better record i think although i probably do prefer many of the songs on folklore as my favorite ones if we if we were to smush them together as one album i do think this is a is a better record and i do think it's because of something like closure Right, which I think starts off as if it is going to be. It's almost like it's going to go into a big banger. And then you get this kind of weird piano ballad, weird time signature thing. And stuff like that makes me think, well, she's definitely getting more experimental and just better as a songwriter in that six month period. And I think that makes it that makes this a more interesting album than the last one. I think if you're looking at it, as you like to say, objectively, I think that makes this a more interesting record overall. But yes, I do agree that probably over an hour of it is you have to really like this stuff and you have to be very, very invested in this stuff to really want an hour of it. Mm. That being said, I think this record holds my attention for longer yeah. and does feature more dyna- dynamics than the previous record just because of just because of little stuff like that yeah um totally in terms of the opening as well i mean i mentioned the opening for um four songs on on folklore which i think are amazing and here we get willow and champagne problems and i think both of them are very very good but for me gold rush is the point where she really hits the high watermark and it's a great <laughs> balance of smoldering sort of, does you not like that one <laughs> my god that's mad it's got this smoldering <clears throat> soaring pop melody which is just brilliant i love a big i love a big swell on a pop record this is exactly the type of dynamic parts that i think make this record different to the last one you know this is re- it's really interesting i like i said i don't think there's i don't think any of the songs are bad on this record but gold rush is one for me that if i was making a compilation of folklore and evermore which i will probably end up doing uh wouldn't be on it um champagne problems however is in my opinion the best song on folklore and evermore um, is it i think it's a fucking masterpiece i'm gonna tell uh, she because she can't hear me darling renfrey's favorite song on this is champagne problems on the taylor swift album oh she doesn't like it she hate she says it's rubbish it's her least favorite one well, isn't it? Uh, okay. i mean that's why I mean, <laughs> <new music>. um, <clears throat> champagne problems is an absolute masterpiece of a song because yeah i like it a lot it's great it's so it tells the story of a woman who shocks her fiance um and their loved ones by turning down a marriage proposal right before christmas and again in terms of storytelling it is just a marvelous piece of work it's it's so 
beautifully put together and it's a really interesting switch on the breakup song in that it's from the point of view of the person who does the breakup rather than the broken-hearted person but mm. it isn't you know a really simplistic way to do that could be a kind of like i fucking hate you and i don't care for you anymore blah 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 um but in many ways the person who's doing the breakup is as broken-hearted as the person who's had their heart smushed um because she's put all this time and commitment into this relationship which she's wanted to make work but it hasn't uh you know and for various reasons which aren't really gone into um but there are just some absolutely astonishing lines in that song um the way she talks about your heart was glass but i dropped it um and the way and i think as well i mean champagne problems is kind of like I interpret it as almost like first world problems, you know, because yeah. pe people aren't going to empathize with me because I'm the person who broke your heart. So they're just going to be, you know, they're just going to be like, oh, it's just a first world problem. You know, like mm. who cares about you? But you can, you can, it can be absolutely heartbreaking if you're the person doing the breaking up as well. It can be an extraordinarily devastating and very difficult thing to do and that is a nuance and a subtlety which is rarely explored in songwriting mm -hmm. um and i think it's so beautifully put together this song i i, I think it's i mean i mean emily is completely wrong <laughs> completely <laughs> wrong mate she her only artist she listened to on her spotify rap was taylor swift so i think she knows a bit more about taylor she's like a taylor swift she was in like top 0.01 percent of fans at the end so I, I think she knows a little bit more about taylor swift than you actually well, if she thinks champagne <laughs> problems is a bad song i think i know a bit more about songwriting than emily does because objectively <laughs> it is one of the best songs mate i agree with you i've always it's said incredible. oh this song's really really good and she doesn't yeah. lie, but I, I agree with you i think it's a, like it's a very very good start to the record i think that first four um i i, I really like gold rush because i i mean i'm not going to go into it being you know you've just very very eloquent put, eloquently put that case forward for champagne problems and you're right i think it is storytelling wise it's as good as this record gets yes um musically i i do think gold rush i i really love tis the season as well it's a bit more upbeat i think as the opening four i mean the strength of the opening four on folklore is always where i'm like that opening four man is such a great start to the record but comparatively when i think about it and i'm looking at it now there's not a lot in it between willow champagne problems gold rush and tis the season as the as that kind of opening four i think for me it's just because exile is just that that is still the best song out of everything oh do you think she's so? okay. put out yeah i think that oh. is absolutely amazing and bonnevere you know returning again after exile he's on the closing track not quite as good but again still again really and good. i think still really good and it's it's that and when we talk about the dynamics of the record it's when bon Iver comes in and also let's talk about the even better version of of, of that kind of juxtaposing of styles we get the national guesting on a song coney island and straight away straight away i mean i'm gonna go on mad about the national for a second straight i'd say even the opposite of what happened with Haim. straight away you go that's a national 
straight away. It doesn't, it doesn't even sound like a Taylor Swift song before she no, comes in. No. It, that is that that sounds like the national from the second that it comes in. I'm not strictly um I'm not strictly saying this is the case, but it almost sounds like Matt Berenger wrote that song and then just sort of gave it to her. I know yeah. he helped co-write some of these songs. So mm-hmm. I don't know, that might be the case. I'm not I'm not claiming it is, but um because I simply don't know. But yes, you could have taken that song. I mean, it sounds like it could it could have fit into I'm easy to find really easily especially considering taylor swift takes the majority of the vocal and i'm easy to find had so many female vocalists on it um there was a there was a really big um emphasis on bringing a lot of women onto that record and having a lot of female voices and i feel like you could very easily transport plant coney island onto i am easy to find very very easily Aaron and Bryce Desner of The National are credited as songwriters on that song. There we go. Yeah. So that should probably tell you um, how it helped to come about. Taylor Swift is as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's definitely some sort of collaboration. But, I mean, I, that's how good they are as a band. I mean, it's pretty much the perfect mix when her voice comes in. I think you know, that song, again, is so brilliant. And there's something about her voice that juxtaposed with a male baritone which mm. sounds amazing. And again, mm. Mm. dynamics, mm. A dynamics in this record. I mean, that is what great music, truly great music. I listened to, um, I mean, I know we've gone on about them a lot recently, but I listened to A Day in the Life the other day. Mm. Dynamics is what mm. makes great music, great, great, great music. Yep. Uh, and that is just a fucking brilliant use of dynamics Mm. those two voices juxtaposed against each other on that song same with bonnevere when he comes in and they are singing over different vocal patterns in different registers over the top of each other and somehow intertwining them that is brilliant i mean that is a Mm. that is a proper skill if anyone dismisses why are you reviewing taylor swift why are you supposed to be alternative blah 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 blah. like we're reviewing this because she is she is really really good at writing songs she is incredibly talented she you know it's a no-brainer for me Mm. at this point Mm. at first we had a little chat didn't we when we came down to do folklore we were like is this a gimmicky thing like do we should we be talking about taylor swift Mm. right is that real now uh, it 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 seems weird to think that we wouldn't yeah i agree um and and as i said i mean the 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 absolute best stuff on this record i think is of the same quality as the best stuff that say phoebe bridges would do you know and phoebe mm. bridges's last record was in my top 20 of last year you know or um julian baker you know who's an artist i'm not sure if we actually, actually talked about julian baker all that much on the show but not she much. does she does have a new album coming out soon so we'll talk about her you know these mm-hmm. are these are i i think i think when these songs are at their best i think they are the equal of those artists and those are some of the best artists doing this kind of music in the world um i suppose just for me it's it, i just kind of wish it was more um uh solid throughout but then as i said i kind i kind of go back on that point ever so slightly because you've chosen a few highlights which i would have never have imagined were highlights personally for mm. me and i don't think any of these songs are badly written or um or or like 
well, I'll say it, I don't think any of these songs are objectively bad. Um, I just think there are ones which I prefer, which are more to my tastes, uh, and there's ones which are less to my tastes. But I still think they're all well composed and well written and beautifully yeah. evoke. Um, I, I can see how they would all move certain people from certain different backgrounds, you know? And I think that's that's kind of like how you can how you can make out if something's really amazing or really not. Um, mm. And I think she manages to do that on everything here, you know? Yeah. I think she's going to do very well for herself in her career, <laughs> this, this artist. So there you go. Do Check you think- her out. Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> do you think she'll continue down this vein? Well, I don't know. And the thing is, uh, uh, maybe. What I think is cool, right? And I said when we reviewed Folklore... I would actually, you know, to me, Taylor Swift has been good for ages. Like she writes really wicked pop songs. And I did hope, I was like, I wouldn't mind a couple of big pop bangers. Now I understand how and why she didn't do that on this pair of albums. I don't think it would work on these records. It probably wouldn't really work on this record, but I wouldn't like her to never revisit that style because she's really fucking good at it. And I think actually doing this will probably help her be good at it. And in fact, there are, like I say, there are little tiny nods. There are only slight nods. There are are little tiny nods to things that she has done during that massive big pop banger superstar period. And I think that's really cool. And if she chooses after this and the world goes back to normal and she's like, right, I'm playing stadiums again now. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the big glitzy, glamorous, huge superstar thing. She can do that really really easily and it'd be great and i will be like hooray that's that's fine there's certainly there's certainly certain vocal inflections which kind of give away her pop um uh sort of background i think like willow for example the vocal line sound like even though the backing is very sort of folksy and stuff the vocal line sounds very pop sorry Mm. well i know what i think is some what's interesting with taylor swift she's proved she can do this now Mm. like to me this is proven easy comfortable ground for her to be on she can do this undoubtedly yeah like no doubt about she can do this so that that's an objective opinion right there yeah (laughs) if she she wants to spend the next decade doing stadiums and doing big bombastic huge you know going up against beyonce and you know the the britney spears (laughs) britney spears has done anything for ages but you know like those rihanna and people if she wants to do that still she can still do that the difference is, I think, maybe not so much with Beyonce, but certainly for uh, the majority of those pop artists, is that now we know when Taylor Swift hits 55, 60, when she gets the same age as, you know, Patti Smith or um, any of those, what I, you know, Kate Bush, you know, when they get to that age, she's got something that she can do. She doesn't have to be like Madonna and still kind of running around in spandex getting a fanny out for like you know <laughs> is that what madonna does yeah. well she kind of does doesn't she i mean like look madonna's great right i'm not gonna slag off madonna but i do think that i'm not sure madonna could do this it's interesting isn't it because madonna kind of paved the way she was one of the um pop artists who paved the way for like 
reinventing yourself all the time which mm. is exactly what taylor swift is doing as well and i kind of asked you that question do you do you think she'll continue doing this because i personally don't think she will because i think taylor swift is an artist who um is constantly looking to reinvent herself she said in an interview somewhere that um women in the pop world have to reinvent themselves more often than men uh in order to survive now i'm a, i'm not an expert on that so i'm not going to comment one way or the other she she certainly knows a lot more about it than i do um but i i i don't actually think she's i don't think she's going to go back to pop i think she's going to reinvent herself yet again and do something totally different um this is totally sub, you know based on conjecture i have absolutely no idea she's actually said herself that she has no idea what she's going to do next but um but i think that's a really encouraging thing that she continues mm. to like she has done multiple different things over her career already um some of which to be totally honest with you i absolutely cannot stand the early pop pop country and western stuff it's yeah uh, like just total anathema anathema to me yeah me too I can't i've got stand no it um but it's just not to my taste you know mm. um but I think she's clearly someone who wants to constantly reinvent herself and do new things. Um, and I don't think this is necessarily Taylor Swift settling into this role because I think she's more interesting than that. And let's get, let's not get it twisted at all. Madonna, like you say, has reinvented herself numerous times over the years, but she's normally kind of reinvented herself as, or tried to reinvent herself as some sort of cutting edge version of what is going on. And that the, and the older you get, the harder that gets. I mean, to compare a, a much more kind of contemporary peer of Taylor Swift's, I appreciated what Lady Gaga did in A Star Is Born. I don't want Lady Gaga to do a whole album of that. Mm -hmm. I, that would not interest me in the slightest, to be perfectly honest. Whereas Taylor Swift, that does that. I'm far more interested in this. Like Lady Gaga doing the thing that Lady Gaga's always done, and then you know that last album she put out was a pure dance album. And she's great at that, and she's obviously a much better actress than maybe people realised. And she can, she's got an incredible voice. She's an incredible musician, you know. And you saw that performance she did at the Oscars, amazing. But do I really want to listen to that like a whole album of it? I mean, personally, I don't. Mm. That's just my personal preference. I think Taylor Swift is in a far better position to be able to have some serious longevity in her career. I mean, and when I say long, serious longevity, I mean 30 years from now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. You've probably heard this album by now, so we've just banged on about it and you've already made your mind up. So sorry for wasting your time. Anyway, that is Evermore by Taylor Swift. Like I say, check her out. She's a hot new thing on the block. <laughs> Uh, she's comfortably the biggest artist that we've ever covered on this podcast like currently covering obviously we've done the Beatles she's probably not as big as the Beatles really or is she really uh, how do you even quantify what, how big I don't know these days? I, don't I, don't, know. I don't even know I don't yeah. know anyway let's just move on I'll tell you who definitely aren't as big as the Beatles it's Alpha Male Tea Party no disrespect <laughs> to them but yeah, they are from Liverpool so it's sort of worth making the vague comparison their album's called infinity stare again this came out just at the end of last year i december believe them three fourth i think yeah december fourth yeah. so again release. been out a little a little while but we thought that we wanted to cover it the fourth album from the instrumental mostly i should say instrumental post-rock band now i know very much i know very much 
that I know very little. <laughs> I know very much that I know very little about this band other than that they're, you know, one of your lot. And what so I did one of your lot. And so I decided to read the bio for this new album, which is very, very interesting, if incredibly poorly written. Um the <laughs> Renfrey, Renfrey wrote it. So um so this album is thematically about grief, essentially. Um mostly or predominantly inspired by the death of former cleft guitarist dan walker beasley who i believe we have spoken about before on this show yeah i've mentioned dan a few times dan wild beasley um because dan was a uh well a friend of mine actually um as well and um uh tom the guitarist from alpha mill tea party and dan were very 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 close um and um it's sort of you know we've discussed um we've discussed when instrumental bands try to like do a, a, a an album that i mean i don't want to call this a concept album but it's very much this album is definitely diffused with with grief i think um but weirdly i think if you were unfamiliar with alpha male tea party's previous material maybe that might not be something you'd pick up on because they're a very um joyful evanescent band they're very bright and sprightly and they have very kind of bouncy uh buoyant riffs i don't i say it's a sort of similar vein to something like and so i watch you from afar or adipashi shank or something like that um and there this is still an album which sounds really joyful i think in lots of ways but it's permeated with a sort of sense of sadness and melancholy which um might only be perceptible if you're aware of their previous material so i was going to ask you mm. if you did you did you listen to this album without knowing that context and think oh this is a sad record no mm. i think this is an interesting thematic topic particularly for an instrumental band and mostly instrumental band um and once you know that topic i think that the record does take on a slightly more poignant feel but if i'm honest i don't know that i'd ever have known that that was a topic if i hadn't read it but i guess the good thing about instrumental music one of the strong things the strongest things about instrumental music is that more than any other type of music it does give you the chance to really make your own mind up or really create what it represents to you mm. as the listener and i think that that kind of malleable nature of instrumental music is really interesting. I mean, Lord only knows what the Aiming for Enrique album was about. <laughs> to me, it was just about one big massive party on a bouncy castle with, you know, loads of toddlers on blue smarties. It was mm. just, just joy. but I don't actually know what it's about. And I suppose I never actually will know what it's about, but it kind of doesn't matter because it meant that to me. And I think that's something that's really cool about instrumental music. Mm. Um, I also I also think like whilst whilst this album was written um, with with that with that stuff in mind, it's not essential to know that to get something no. out of it. And and you no, know, no, I and don't as, think it as is. you're kind of already saying, like it's even easier to put your own interpretation and your own spin on instrumental music because there aren't words getting in the way of like yeah. you know changing that interpretation in any way so. yeah i mean i'm glad that i did find that out because it did change how i listened to the records mm. in the aftermath of of reading that and i've only had one listen to it 
with that information as opposed to sort of four or five listens that, that I had before. But, you know, I really enjoyed it before that. Like, I really like the record but full of it. It's got some great riffs on it. It's got some amazing riffs. It has some wicked, excellent time signature changes, which mm. just kind of slap you. Like, it's like, like a, like a, what's it when they, when they challenge someone to a duel and just suddenly it's like slap in the face. It's like suddenly something will slap you in the face and you're going off in a completely different direction. And I really like that. I mean, the opening riff on Locker Talk is so good. Yeah. It's so good. And I think it's, sonically incredible as well the production on it is fucking brilliant it is so like you say bright and clear and concise and we just mentioned Meshuggah earlier and Meshuggah have people talk about you know I, I love the production on a lot of Meshuggah most Meshuggah records right but there's something almost inhuman mechanical uh, robotic about Meshuggah you feel like it's barely been touched by humanity. Whereas I don't feel like that about mm. this. It's still, ah, it yeah, feels really clear. Nice. feels really clean, but it still feels like you say you can hear the fingers holding the plectrum, hitting the notes yeah. as they play it. And, and, and that's really cool to, to get a sense. I mean, you would, again, when we did white stripes and we compared it to hundred gex, you were like, I need to feel that kind of human connection. And mm, I think, mm even without knowing the context of this record and what it thematically is meant to represent, you definitely do that. You yeah. definitely do get that kind of hum, humanistic feel. And and, say, and saying that, when with the context as well, something like um, Year of Winter mm. has this really kind of, it's upbeat but melancholic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I, I always was like, this feels a little bit more depressed and a little bit more sort of sad, or a little bit more kind of trying to shake off an annoyance than mm. anything else did on the record. And with that context, I responded to that song even more and I responded to it far differently than I did the first few times around. So yeah, I like, I really do like this record a lot with or without the context. I'm really glad you mentioned Meshuggah. Um, I think a simple way to um, describe Alpha Male Tea Party's music is Imagine Meshuggah covering Andrew WK songs, but with Tom Morello on guitar. Does that work for you? Mm. Mm. Um, I don't think you're a million miles away from... Oh, and instrumental. Uh, I don't think you're a million miles away from Alpha Male Tea Party if you take those three things. So Meshuggah, they've got the kind of technical aspects of it, but it's obviously much, much, much more joyful and uh, uh ebullient than than Meshuggah mm-hmm. um uh and you know I wouldn't call Alpha Male Tea Party a metal band they get heavy if they want to they know how to get heavy if they want yeah. to but they're not a metal band you know uh, but it's certainly very technical and intricate so that's the Meshuggah thing I think the Andrew WK thing is that like party evanescent kind of vibe they are sort of seen particularly live as one of the most party-esque bands in this kind of math rock scene i think it's fair to say certainly at art tangent uh they've done some pretty um some gigs which have really gone down in art tangent folklore as uh some of the most sort of joyful uh gigs in in the entire festival's history um the tom morello guitar stuff i think guitarist tom peters uh, who I should actually probably say was the arranger for our Christmas single, uh, yeah. Wreck the Halls. Uh, Definitely worth mentioning that. Is a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, Self produced this album as well by Tom. So I'm really pleased that you said that the wow. production was really good. I mean, it mm. is fantastic. Um, 
Tom uses some really unorthodox guitar effects uh, in a very interesting way. There's a lot of whammy stuff on here. There's a lot of octave stuff on here, kind of in the manner that Tom Morello uses effects as well, I think, or uses his guitar, certainly. So the opening riff of They'd Get the Guillotine, for example, sounds not, not a million miles away from what Tom Morello was doing on the opening of Cochise, for example, uh, by Audio yeah. Slave. There's that kind of like helicopter type thing um and it's not even particularly melodic but it makes for a really interesting kind of rhythmic thing uh thing that was the best <laughs> thing i could come up with fucking hell well uh, done mate <laughs> uh, fucking hell slagging off other people for not being able to review records properly and that is what you come up with <laughs> there we go rhythmic thing um like the majority of their their albums it has a really infectious energy to it and I think it's really hard not to get swept up in the record when you're listening to it. I really enjoy, I really enjoy this record when it's on. If I have one slight issue with it, and it is, it is more down to the fact that I've, I've really loved Alpha Male Tea Party for a very, very long time. I'm a big admirer of theirs. I think um, they are so kind of keen to move on and go to different places on these songs that sometimes they don't really stick individual parts of the songs don't really stick with you or or songs as a whole don't really stick with you maybe quite as much as they should do i'm not sure if they have i think they could have they have some amazing hooks on this record at points but i almost feel like they should have um worked those hooks in a few more times uh because there's very very few repeating parts on this album if at all really and whilst it's on it makes for a really interesting sort of um sonic stew but it's it, it doesn't not loads of it sticks with you after the record uh once the, once the record's not playing um and i had to listen to it so a, a lot of times before things started to really stick with me um and that hasn't been the case with their previous two albums droids and health uh droids in particular i think has some absolutely astonishing hooks on it i think these hooks are there um on this album i just think it takes a a, a little bit longer for them to get into your mind and that isn't necessarily a bad thing um mm. but i was struck the first few times that i listened to it that it wasn't sticking with me as much as I ex had expected it to. But that just might be an expectancy that I have from knowing their previous material. I don't know, really. Um, so maybe it just requires a bit more, a bit more investment in it than their previous mm. stuff. I don't know. But I do really like um, the stuff on here. I think Year of Winter, Sad Balloon and the title track are very much needed songs on this album because it really is like um those songs are a bit of a slower pace yeah uh, and the remaining seven songs don't really ever pause for breath um i mean the, there are parts here and there where they do but i think uh sad balloon and year of winter and and, and infinity stare have far more of a simpler composition which you can kind of more more of a I mean, it's wrong to say a verse chorus structure, but they're just they're just easier to kind of assimilate, I suppose. I would have almost um I think they do that stuff so well. I would have almost wondered if maybe they could have had another song like that, maybe on here, just to make it like four to six or something like that. Sad Balloon has this lovely cinematic melancholy quality to it. And I think the 
straightforward, direct approach to the lyrics on the title title track make them all the more poignant. Um, when you don't have vocals on a record for forty two minutes and then the last two minutes they come in, it's sudden. That is suddenly a really powerful thing to do because you're like, whoa, vocals, whoa, yeah, um, and so Floydy as well. So 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 Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, which obviously I like a lot. Yeah, I, I like it too. It, it, I suppose it reminded me more of the kind of 90s shoegaze thing um there's a laid back kind of quality to them and the vocals are very um basic but direct and i think given especially given what the record is about i think that sort of uh makes them more powerful in a way um in a strange sort of way um and i love the borderline shoegaze vibes to the those waves and waves of guitar that come back come into that uh song and build and build and build i think that's really awesome well the palette that they are working from and painting with i actually think you know one of the things that would be considered a criticism of which i know drives you absolutely mad Mm -hmm. is the idea that all instrumental music is basically the same thing Mm -hmm. and i think when you listen to this record it's a really good example of the fact that just this one band just this album from this one band i mean mild language tonality the detonality of mild language is almost indie to start with i was Mm -hmm. like this is a bit block party but yet desperate for atmosphere has got this riff that i think gajira would be happy with yeah and you know and those two things work regardless of what this record has been inspired by i think they work for that again bonfire disaster movie is Mm. heavy do you know what i mean it's actually really really heavy and so i i think you know the idea that all of these bands just sort of sound the same or that they're all doing the same thing over and over again is just not true at all, obviously. And I mean, what you were saying about adding in shoegaze elements and stuff like, yeah, definitely. Like there's, there's all kinds of different stuff on here. Um, My only, this is pretty much ends where I have anything to say. If I had one complaint, Mm -hmm. my only complaint would be, you know, if you like this stuff, I think you will like this, but I don't think this is going to change anybody's mind about kind of instrumental tech rock, math rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've heard most of this stuff done, even if it's in isolation from one another, even if one band really lean on the more metally bits and another band lean on the more indie bits. And I think that's good that Alpha Male Tea Party don't just do that, but I don't think there's anything on here that is going to turn a casual fan stroke uh, which i would probably consider myself a casual fan of most of this stuff mm-hmm. or somebody who's not invested or interested in it i don't think it's gonna bring those people in but then i'm not gonna slag it off for that no because exactly. they're doing a very very good version of stuff that has been done before and i didn't do it last week with the dirty nil mm-hmm. who are doing that and so i'm not gonna do it here this band are what they are they are very very good at finding to my ears, I mean, I not I've not heard any other records, so I can't say what they used to sound like. But to my ears, they are very, very good at finding as many magpieing as many different styles to fit into this particular formula. But they do fit into this particular formula, and if that's going to be a problem for you, then you might want to kind of give this album a miss. But I would say there's probably about two of these records that come along in a year that do. You know, I always go, can they keep my attention for the entirety of this record 
and this does. Oh, great. I'm really happy so, to hear that. Uh, and I, I really like it. And I usually get maybe two or three albums of this ilk a year that stick with me and I go back to. And I wouldn't be shocked if this was one of them this year. Oh, good. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, and I know they will be too. I I, um, um, I I do agree that if you if you just don't like this sort of thing or just haven't responded to this sort of thing, if you listen to this podcast and when a quote-unquote rent-free album comes up, um, <laughs> uh, you, you turn off or you skip a bit, um, the, the no, this isn't going to persuade you. But then, you know... Um, if you don't like folk music the new the new taylor swift album isn't going to be for you either so <laughs> you know uh doesn't mean it isn't any good um very very quickly uh i really feel like i should um point out just the brilliance of the artwork to this record uh oh, oh yeah it is so cool it looks like the hands of god throwing a red octopus at a building uh it's brilliant <laughs> Yeah. The building's um, on a cloud as well. The building's on a cloud, yeah. Uh, just throwing just... a massive squid at a building on a cloud with two big hands. <laughs> yeah, very, it's, it's wicked. It's good. I, I, I would. I mean, you know, for me, if you're more like me than you are, Renfrey, where you think I don't need, I'm not going to invest in endless amounts of this sort of thing, mm. but I, I do like listening to it a bit. Then go for that. I reckon. Alpha Male Tea Party Infinity Stare is out now and it's been out for a little while as has our next record gone is gone if everything happens for a reason then nothing really matters at all the second album from the prog metal supergroup of sorts that consists of troy sanders of mastodon troy van lewin of a perfect circle and queens of stone age fame tony hajar from at the drive-in as well mm, um like well, I like them, yeah. Liked. <laughs> I liked them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I did. The follow-up to their debut album, Echo Location, from 2016, a record which, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really remember listening to that record very much. It never really grabbed me. But from what I sort of remember, this is a far more electronic-sounding record than the last one, I think. Do you know what? I cannot remember if I listened <laughs> to Echolation or not. Um, I feel like surely I did at some point because uh, Troy Sanders' uh, contribution to this alone would have made me interested to listen to it. But yes, I will confess, if I did listen to it, I do not remember it. So, um, mm. uh, but yes, uh, uh, is there more electronic stuff? Yep, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty, <laughs> sure, I'm pretty sure there is. I mean, mm. this... It's far more in the way of just sort of pure electronica that drives it, I think, than the last one. There's this kind of progressive new wave feel to it as well, which on paper sounds like a, a bit of me. And, and I do like to hear people do things that you've sort of never heard them do before. And Troy Sanders, much like his turn, you know, fronting a hardcore band on Killer Be Killed for one song. I've never really heard him do this particular thing before. And it's got a lot of new order stroke the cure style bass bits over it with some quite much more modern sounding synth parts and i like that as an idea I, but the album itself i feel is quite patchy you've when had it's a bit, good you've had a bit of a roller coaster with this record haven't i you? have yeah mm. i have because when i first heard it I thought, oh my God, this is really good. And this has got so much. And I, I, the first time I listened to it, so just to give you a little bit of backstory, I've had this for a little while. I had it way before it came out because I interviewed Troy about the record for Metal Hammer. And 
I got sent it the day of the interview. So I was like, shit, I've got two listens to it. And I listened to it twice back to back. And the first time I was like, oh, I didn't really expect it to sound like that. And the second time I was like, this is actually pretty, this is pretty exciting because, you know, I, I, it's got all the elements of stuff that I'm really into. I mean, you know, in the last year, we spoke about every band doing that kind of post-punk electronic synthy stuff and you know how mad i was going on depeche mode when we did the special and stuff so like it was it felt like a you know a really really cool and i thought well, this is going to really grow on me and you know there's loads of subtleties that will probably reveal themselves after five or six listens and then the more i listen to it when it's good i think it's really good and when it isn't it just sort of does nothing hmm. and it's a real sort of seesaw of stuff that doesn't quite work and then a few things that I think are really good mm. broadly. I, so it's a, it's a frustrating sort of listen. I really like the sonics of this album because there's an awful lot of stuff in it with like the electronic pulses and the strange sort of, you know, bits of it sound a bit like space rock, but then some of it is very soundscapey. Um, Tony Hard, uh, Tony Harger, and I think the other member of the band who isn't like quote unquote a famous person from yeah. another band, um, both do lots of soundtrack work, and I think you can really hear that on this mm. record. Um, it doesn't sound like a, a OST album or anything like that, but it does have a kind of soundtrack soundscapey vibe to a lot of it. Um, as it moments of like psychedelia in it as well um you know it reminds me of lots of different things sometimes psychedelia smith <laughs> if i was a cook i'd I call myself psychedelia smith um sometimes it sounds like i, I think it has failure-esque moments on it you know yeah. i think it has and, and just failure at some points as well yeah yeah <laughs> i meant the band um yeah. i think it sounds like portershead sometimes mm -hmm. um there's also shades of both queens of the stone age and a perfect circle which perhaps shouldn't be surprising considering no. troy van leeuwen spent both time P with both those bands pussifer i think pussifer is actually quite mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. example of yeah um it's eclectic <clears throat> and for the most part yes relatively subtle it's very chin strokey music as opposed to an album stuffed full of sing-along hooks. And yeah. <clears throat> I think I respond very differently to this album, depending on my mood. Um, sometimes I put it on and I'm just like, I am just so not in the mood for this. I just want something to sing along to, you know. But sometimes I actually put it on very late last night on my headphones whilst reading and it just provided a really nice soundtrack whilst I was whilst I was reading, you know. And um, I almost feel like you'll get you'll get something out of this record only if you approach it in the right way. There is an argument to yeah. be. I can totally see why you'd listen to it a couple of times and go, "Oh, I think this is a record which I'm really going to um, grow to love," and then after hearing it a few times it sounds like it's going to have a lot more to reveal um than it ends up revealing i think that's a, that's a weird sentence but do you know what i mean by that yeah i think that's what's sort of so frustrating about it is mm. that i listened to it and i was like well there's a few songs so 
what I would say is there's a song like Everything is Wonderful. That's not, I've not said wonderful, wonderful, wrong. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I wasn't just having a stroke then, sorry. <laughs> um, it's got this massive bass. The bass line's brilliant. Yeah. It's got really cutting slabs of electronic noise that just strang in and out. And it sounds, like you say, cinematic and glorious. And Troy does that wail that you've mm. heard mm. from Mastodon throughout the years. And you're like... I've never heard him doing it amongst this before. And that's exciting. And that sounds really cool. And it's great. There's a song in it called The Breaks, which I think is great as well. Sort of like an industrialized Nine Inch Nails banger with this Ramsign stomp. But it feels like it's been put together in the way that Depeche Mode used to put their early music together like a collage of samples like they've gone outside and thrown a skateboard against a bin or something and then <laughs> recorded the sound and then and i think that's really really good i, I thought it was very year zero era nine mm. inch nails which um I, I think year zero is a really underrated record so i I, yeah. I love that um but yeah it very very big year zero vibes i think and, and when you get that and you think like oh god you've actually managed to make weird ambient noises into some sort of semblance of a song Mm. and that's that's really cool um no one ever walks on water a bit of sparta about it and like Mm. you said kind of latter-day queens of stone age bit of pussifer but it's still working within the framework of the band that they're they're currently in i think that's cool as well but then there are times where they go a little bit too much into modern rate not even modern radio rock but like songwriting wise i'm just like i don't think there's there's anything on here that is an actual song and that's sort of fine if like you say there are far more layers for you to uncover but if you're just making a kind of if you've ultimately you're making a rock song out of electronic soundscapes but you don't really have anything else going on with that because you've and it's not not i mean it's sort of well it is a criticism but it's not really meant to be a criticism that oh you're just rock musicians not being as good at doing kind of electronic music or whatever i think they're obviously trying to write rock songs in a different way or trying to approach rock music in a slightly different way and try and make a sort of ambient version of the stuff that they've done before Mm. using different types of instrumentation but it's when they stray too close to to their day jobs without really writing a song around it mm, mm. that's when i'm like you know pick one or the other yeah I, I i i kind of agree with what you're saying it's certainly like it's definitely not an album that's going to be for everyone and i think there are going to be some people who would check this out who i mean the Macedon connection, for example, there's a lot of Macedon fans who just won't be interested in this at all. I would have thought not all of them, obviously, mm. but there there are a lot like people who want far more sort of traditional modern song structures. Um, you don't often get that on this record. There are some um, death of a dream, I think is one. Uh, I think payoff yeah. and breaks have that more traditional structure, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff where it kind of ponders. It's a quite ponderous record, which I don't... Mate, sometimes I feel it's four and a half minutes long and it does nothing for three minutes. And then you get this massive climax 
and then it just and it, it just ends mm. and it doesn't even end it still has 30 seconds it just does a minute of like oh there's a minute of actual song mm. and then a load of kind of ambient noise at the end of it and it's like what a waste what a waste of a good part i i i, I don't entirely disagree I think that's a tiny bit harsh, but but I understand what you're saying. And, and I, I think some people would have that reaction to it. And I think it's a valid reaction. I think the only reason why I do want to defend this record is because it, it sounds quite unusual and it sounds quite... Um, I don't... I think unique is probably a, a, probably a step too far. But, you know, mixing Portishead with Queens of the Stone Age and Perfect Circle, like not heard many people do that you know like no. trip poppy stuff with queens of the stone age and stuff and i think there's the kernel of something potentially really interesting here i don't think they've pulled it off perfectly but i i definitely i definitely think there is there is a, yeah a kernel of an interesting idea and it's not I quite th- there but, but mm. you know, I, I like the way it sounds. I like the sonic tapestry that they weave. Well, it, that's the thing, isn't it? Is it sounds great. Mm. It doesn't grab you immediately, but it sounds like something that should grab you immediately. Mm. I think the problem is when you go back to it and kind of what you're saying about Alpha Male 2 Party, which I didn't, I, I didn't really feel myself, but is that there are parts where I think I don't, after six listens, I should feel like this is more than just, kind of ambience for the sake of ambience and then for you to try and sort of bolt a song on the end of it i'm like you could do you could either go i kind of would like them to go full further away from what they've been doing before i mean i think if they went into going let's make it completely sound like a soundtrack or a score mm, to something. Mm, mm. I actually think that would be more interesting because I think they could bring Troy in and they could bring those bass parts in some in in some places and they could make a really odd sounding ambient space rock record. Yeah. Whereas I think there still is this like you say there's still this slight reliance or or or, or want to kind of fall back on the tropes of rock and roll. It is arguably it is arguably a bit of a halfway house at the moment, isn't it? And mm. yeah, I think you're right. I think if they jumped into that a little bit more fully, um, that could be more interesting. Although, just just for balance, on the other hand, you could argue that um, trying to trying to put those sort of song structures within this sort of weird floaty. Uh, ethereal sort of music isn't something that many people try to do but then yes true on the other hand you could argue well this is the reason they don't try to do it you got <laughs> yeah yeah so. you got to nail the song if you're going to do that you've got to nail those songs i think mm-hmm. you've got to absolutely nail those songs and i just think that there, there is a few occasions you know like i say i i i definitely think breaks is like Oh yeah, there you go. That's what you've been trying to do. I, but the I, thing is, as well as I've sort of heard, we mentioned sort of Nine Inch Nails, Year Zero stuff. You have sort of heard other bands do that sort of thing before, so it's not entirely unique. I think if they just really pushed the idea of being a rock band a little bit further away, I think they'd actually weirdly end up being more unique for it. Well, I, I, yes, I sort of, um, I sort of stopped myself from using the word unique um, uh, for that reason. Yeah. But what I will say is um, it's a path that isn't often trodden. 
um which That's is true. which is why i think this is an interesting record which is which is worth listening to um mm. i think a lot that the, the, i don't think everyone's going to enjoy it um and i i i've you know i've listened to it a good eight or nine times over the last couple of months i reckon at least and i will admit just like you said a couple of minutes ago there aren't many parts that really stick with me you know um but sometimes depending on my mood sometimes i feel like that's a problem and sometimes i don't it just sort of depends what mood i'm in really um music doesn't have to I don't think it always has to be really, really hooky to 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 me. No, 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 necessarily. No, um, but I do agree that this is a bit of a halfway house and isn't quite sure what it wants to be. And in a way, those are its strengths and its weaknesses. Mm. It's a weird it's one, isn't it? An, it's yeah, it is a weird one. It's certainly an interesting record, and yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad they're. Tr- I mean, I am glad they're trying to do that. Yeah, I just think they haven't entirely nailed it at first, and I think it when i first listened to it it promised it i felt like it promised a lot mm. and you know like like you say music doesn't always have to be hooky but if it's not going to be hooky it needs to have some depth somewhere else and i'm not quite sure they've got the depth of the best of sort of ambient like when when you do get those ambient things that we've been speaking about previously on this podcast for various artists i'm not quite sure they have managed to capture the same level as depth as oliver arnold's yeah i certainly thought um the first or second time i listened to it i certainly thought oh by by my sixth seventh listen this is really going to open up and reveal itself to me and um yes i do agree i I don't Mm. think there's quite as much there as maybe it promised yeah well, anyway, have a little listen if you like Mastodon. If you like Mastodon, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. This isn't an <laughs> yeah. FFO Mastodon, is it at all? No, really. no, not at all. Um, it is far more failure. Portishead, uh, maybe mm. Perfect Circle. Perfect actually a better show, I think. Yeah, but it's out now. Give it a little listen if that sounds like something you might be vaguely interested in. It's if everything happens for a reason, then nothing really matters at all. By Gone Is Gone. Let's move on to our very, very last release. It's actually the first new release of the year. Well, we did Dirty Mill. It's the first release. We, it's the first release that we're reviewing on the day this podcast comes out. <laughs> this also comes out as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, it's true. It does. <laughs> No, you just put it so eloquently. But yeah, carry on. <laughs> I, that is a fact. That is objectively what it is. Oh. Uh, Thou and Emma Ruth Rundle, The Helm of Sorrow. Another piece of music from this pair in Hot on the Hills of their critically acclaimed album May Our Chambers Be Full from last year. This time it is only a four-track EP. Um, now, Renfrey, I know that May Our Chambers Be Full was one of your favourite records of the last year. Yeah. You loved it. Yeah, I absolutely adored it. It was in my top 20. I feel like as mm. a result, it'll come as no surprise that I love this. I'm almost tempted to um, move over to you to get a slightly more balanced view on these four songs before I yeah. just go, oh my God, I fucking love this. Well, it's <laughs> it's funny this because I know, I mean, a lot of people love this. I, I saw a lot of people that I know who are writing for Hammer and Kerrang, who I'm friends with and whose opinion I respect and yourself as well, mm. went batty for it. And at the time, I really appreciated it i listened to it and i thought this is very very good but i have to be honest i didn't go mad on it like some people it didn't make my top 40 
of my albums of 2020. If uh, you remember, I did a long list. This is it wasn't um, in there. This is May Our Chambers Be Full that you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. 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 Obviously, it didn't make my top four. This didn't make my top 40 albums of 2020 because this is an EP that came out in 2021. But I do Just appreciate clarifying. you taking the time to clarify that very obvious point, Renfrey. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, I didn't go mad on that that record. I, I listened at the time and I was like, this is really, really good. But I didn't fall for it in the same way as a lot of people fell for it. And I think the fact that I haven't really listened to it mm, 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 mm. since we reviewed it um, probably says quite a lot about the fact that it just sort of passed me by a little bit, which okay. is weird. Um, but this, mm. I fucking love this. Interesting. I think this is better than the record. This grabbed me straight away and I was like, holy shit. Now, maybe it's because it's heavier and it is definitely heavier than the last one. It's more scabrous, I think. Um, that might be why, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's a, a more concise package that you've got. But I think this is fucking awesome. Um, a few things on that. I mean, first of all, I will say that it'd be easy to assume that this is a, an EP made up of material that simply wasn't deemed uh, quote unquote good enough to make the final album. And I don't think that's the case at all. These songs do feel um, very much like a complete package and, and they work together really, really well. I do agree it's heavier, but not to sound like every band in the world but it's also in a way kind of lighter as well isn't it because yeah. um the opening song for example orphan limbs um mm. the dynamics of that song it's so so quiet um for the majority of its length actually uh yeah. and then it when um i mean it's it's not quite it, it's what i really like about orphan limbs is it doesn't like may our chambers be full um did sound like what you'd imagine Emma Ruth Rundle fronting Thou would sound like for the most part, which was, to be totally honest, absolutely fine with me. I mm. think Orphan Limbs does something that doesn't quite feel like any of them. Um, I wasn't sure. It's got a kind of gothic darkness to the start of it. It almost sounds like it's being played on a, what are those big, big, you bow the, like a double bass. E bows. An e but yeah, it sounds Ooh, like like the yeah. the bass and that sound. It's so deep and so dark, and her voice is not really what I associate her voice with necessarily. Sound like it's almost it's in a slightly different register to it, what she usually does, and it, it's really cool. It, I wasn't even sure if it was Emma at first. I I, I was kind of looking mm. up, and I still assume that it is um, because I cannot I can't see anywhere anyone mentioned that a different vocalist, but it doesn't didn't sound like emma at all she's just singing in a very different kind of cadence in a very different way i really like it i think it sounds really really cool and then when the band come in towards the end uh as a whole holy shit i mean like oh, so proper good. proper post-rock dynamics we're talking about there it sounds absolutely huge um i also think um uh what is it called recurrence is just such a brilliant kind of it's really sludgy and really heavy, but also really, really catchy at the same time. You know, it's got a, gr it's got what I called a grunge riff mm. in the middle of it. That kind of 1989, 1988 sub pop Melvin's Tad mm -hmm. riff on it mm. that just goes <laughs> on its own phrases. Fuzzy, sludgy, horrible thing. And ah, uh, I mean, 
heavy shit to be fair and i mean i feel like this is much more kind of aimed like the middle part of this ep particularly is much more aimed at being kind of thou fans than it is to emma ruth rundle fans to be honest and of the two i would certainly consider myself more of an actual fan of emma ruth rundle than thou Mm. and i don't know why that means that i'm enjoying this i like this ep more um but it's it's so much louder because of her when she do- when she does come in it makes everything seem so much louder i mean when those cymbal crashes come in at the end of that song i mean roll over i roll over for my belly to be tickled it is <laughs> it is brilliant and i mean the song i think the the middle two to me out of the four i think all four of them are great but the the, the book ending of this ep is 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 the strength although the crone dance the second song which just comes in screaming is basically just a brutal song um it's got this massive riff uh, massive beat downs i mean it's it's, it's probably fucking great it's probably the heaviest song of the entire collaboration isn't it i would argue mm. crone dance mm. i like crone dance a lot um hollywood holy shit mate i mean this is unbelievable this song the Brilliant. groove the menace mm. Uh, oh. it's a charlatan's cover and it is, is it? Mm, yeah, yeah yeah it's a cover of the charlatan song and i didn't know that yeah um and i think they've kind of really beautifully um they've taken a song which has a really melodic pop-esque hook but they've just chucked so much heavy sludgy guitar at it uh, and it sounds absolutely huge. I absolutely love it in terms of like covers of songs. Again, we talked about it quite recently with the White Stripes and um, I just don't know what to do with myself. They just mm. really made it their own without kind of betraying the um, original sense of the song, I think. I've not heard the original song, I don't think. I'm just, I don't know where it is. What album is it on by the Charlatans? I mean, yes, I'm quite shocked that I I had no idea that this was a a cover of the Charlatans. To be honest, Renfrey, I I didn't even know. But I mean, this is this is incredible. I mean, this is like Kate Bush fronting Neurosis in 1996. I think it's got this thing where it's, it's really catchy. I guess it's the Charlatans part. Really makes you want to bang. I mean, this is the head banging one on it. I can't not bang my head to this song. It's amazing the groove is brilliant but it's really weird it's really discordant it's quite slight and dark in the points where emma kind of comes in in the background of of some parts of it as well i mean i absolutely love this song i was going to say this is the song to beat for 2021 so far i know it's only a month in so you know no spoilers in it really i can't imagine that that will be what i'll be saying come the end of the year um well it might be i mean it is fucking brilliant but this is yeah this is outstanding outrageous for me that is that is about everything that i've heard from this collaboration so far that is the best moment and work that they have done together from my personal opinion um i think it would probably only be seconds to the final song on um on on the album itself which um i thought was an absolute 
Yeah, that is good as well. Uh, what was it fucking called? The Valley. Um, I think that really long sort of post-Rocky eight and a half, nine minute song is just absolutely incredible. But yeah, uh, second only to second only to that, I think. I think is absolutely brilliant. This song, like, to have something so heavy and so sludgy and so catchy at the same time, it's just brilliantly, brilliantly realised. It really is. Yeah, it's really good. This absolutely brilliant. It's short as well. I mean, again, that thing that you were saying about. If you're going to be really, really heavy, do it in kind of tinier, tinier chunks. I mean, this sort of, what is it, 22 minutes, 23 minutes? It's not very long at all, but everything on it is brilliant. It's 21 minutes and 33 seconds. Wow. There you go. Um, um, I've just realised I've made a massive error. It's not the Charlatans, it's the Cranberries. I always get oh, right. the Charlatans mix up. It's uh, you yeah, bloody idiot! I've been Google- frantically googling the Charlatans because like, that's not a Charlatan song. The Cranberries. Oh I right, okay. Apologize. I still. Yeah. I well, that makes me feel better because I was like, I've never heard a Charlatan song called Hollywood before. Yeah, that, that's... What album can that be? On? I thought it might be on one of their newer ones or something that I, you know. Sadly, from... that is not the first time I've done that. I, I mix the Charlatans and the Cranberries up all the fucking time, even though they sound nothing alike. My apologies. Sincere apologies. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't feel as bad about that because I don't really know the entire discography of the Cranberries. Zombie. Yeah, that's one of them. Isn't it? <laughs> Do you have to let it linger? Do you have to? R.I.P. Dolores. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. that up. Anyway, there <laughs> we go. On. Uh, <laughs> carry on. The Helm of Sorrow, Emma Ruth Rundle, and Thou is out right now, and that's it. That is it for this week's show. We will be back next week. We'll be reviewing the latest records from Smashing Pumpkins, which came out last year, and Vordruna, which comes out next week, and more. We haven't actually decided yet. We're having a little conversation about what else we will be reviewing. There's a few things in the mix, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. Go over to patreon.com forward slash right podcast and sign up if you like to get all of our other exclusive content, what we banged on about at the start of the show, and go to signaturebrew.co.uk. Put Riot Act in the checkout, get 10% off of those lovely, guilt-free, non-alcoholic beverages. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I'm going to nail them ASAP. All right. See you next week. We're out. Bye.